Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are today going to be beginning a, a new sermon series, a series that is going to take us into Romans chapters 4 and 5, and a series that we have called the ABCs of Faith. We're talking about some of the, the basic building blocks of our faith that will take us from Abraham all the way to Christ. And so I'm excited for us to look at uh, some verses today from, from Romans 4 as we begin that time. But before we, we open up Romans 4 together, I want to share with you a story from my life that, that goes back about 12 years. Uh, 12 years ago, I uh, was spending some time with, uh, with, with my, um, and by the way, the, the ushers can come forward now if they want to, if they, if they already done so, uh, they're welcome to come forward now. Um, we kind of, we're calling an audible on the fly this morning because we wanted to have some time for everybody to say hello. So uh, anyway, hey, uh, so I'm going to take, take you back about 12 years now. And uh, 12 years ago, uh, I went over to, to visit a friend. And, and when I was going to, to, to visit that that, that friend, I was, had a number of appointments that day, but we were going to stop by and spend some time together. So I drive up in my 2001 Ford Focus hatchback. Now, that was a fine automobile. And I, I pull into the driveway, I get out, I go inside, I, I spend some time with my friend. And, and when I was done spending time with him, I, I went out to get in my car and to hurry to the next appointment. And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out my keys and I stuck the key into the ignition. Now, when I did so, I noticed a little bit of resistance. And so I pressed harder. And that was when I realized that the key that I had placed in the ignition was not the key to the 2001 Ford Focus. It was the key to the 1997 Saturn. Now, the 97 Saturn, also a fine automobile, but the key to the 97 Saturn does not work in the ignition of the Ford Focus. No matter how sincere my belief was that that key was going to work, no matter how much I wanted to force it in there and make it work, it just didn't work. As a matter of fact, it got stuck. And I had to call a locksmith who came and drilled the ignition switch out of my car, put another one in, over $200 and, and, and it, uh, later, in this extended period of time, I miss my next appointment. I don't get where I wanted to go, and I'm out a bunch of money. Now, after that experience, every time I got in my car when I drove that Ford Focus, I, I would say this, Ford, not Saturn. Ford, not Saturn. Can you guys say that with me? Ford, not Saturn. I would literally say that in my head every time. $200 and missing some appointments will do that to a guy. Ford, not Saturn. No matter how sincere my belief, no matter how much pressure I put, it simply would not turn the engine. Now, I tell you that story today because we're going to be looking at um, the engine of salvation. We're going to be looking at what God is offering us in terms of connecting us with eternity, which is an appointment we all want to keep. But, but here is the situation that we face. In Romans 4, he will tell us that there is only one key 
that we can put in that ignition that will turn it over and activate it for us. There's only one key that we can put in, and regardless of how sincere our belief, any of the other ideas we have simply won't work. The key that turns the engine of what God has done for us in Christ is the key of faith. And we're going to see that today. Now, faith in what is a great place for us to begin? Our our, our faith is found in Christ alone, and we really need to look at the full context of the book of Romans to understand that Paul is pointing us to faith, not just in a general conception of God, but faith in something specific that God has done for us in Christ. Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, and in verse 16 and 17, he kind of offers his, his thesis, his premise for this letter. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul was saying was the key of of faith will turn this ignition and will activate the righteousness that God wants to offer us in Christ. The reason why we we need God to give us this righteousness in Christ is because we have no righteousness on our own. Paul continues in verse 18 of chapter 1 and said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That is applied to all of us when he says in chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, If God is going to reveal his wrath against all unrighteousness, and if all of us are unrighteous, then that means that all of us would be recipients of God's wrath if God did not intervene. But what we see in Romans in the first three chapters is that God did intervene. God made a way for the righteousness of God to be given to us, not on the basis of anything we've done, but on the basis of what he would do by his grace. He would do this amazing thing for us in Jesus Christ. He describes that in verse 22 of chapter 3 and following. He says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Verse 24, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God has provided a way for our sins to be atoned for. He's provided a way for our sins to be forgiven. He's provided a way for his righteousness to be given to us, and that is found only in Christ. And Paul makes this this daring claim in chapter 3 that the way that that is activated, the way that that is turned on is through faith, not through anything we've done, but merely receiving the gift that God has given That's what Paul is arguing here in Romans chapter 3. By the time we get to Romans 4 in this section, Paul is already anticipating objections. He's already anticipating questions. He's imagining that when he asserts that salvation comes by faith, that that other people are going to want to, 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 to grab different keys and jam them in the ignition and say, no, Paul, you forgot about this. This is really what turns the ignition of salvation. 
Why don't we, we try this? And, and, and Paul says, hey, no matter how sincere your belief that something else could open salvation to you, no matter how hard you want to push and prod and try for something other than Christ and faith in Christ to turn the ignition, it simply will get stuck. It will keep you from getting to eternity where you want to be. See, I learned in my car that I needed to remind myself, Ford, not Saturn, Ford, not Saturn. And in Romans 4, Paul is going to tell us it's faith, not anything else. We see that in in verses 1 to 12. I want to read them for us, and then we'll back up and look at them a little more in depth. Paul writes and says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, in these these 12 verses, we see Paul pointing to the key of faith as it relates to the engine of our salvation. And he is going to make a couple of points here of things that, that we might want to ram in the ignition, um, but that will serve as a non-starter as it relates to our salvation. The first one he wants to say is that it's faith and not works. Faith and not works. Can you guys say that with me? Faith, not works. Paul is, is writing here, and he knows that there is a temptation within each of us to make our salvation about our works. As a matter of fact, there's part of us that wants our salvation to be about our works. We want that because we we long for God to look at us and tell us, well done. You know, I'm uh, coaching a nine-year-old's basketball team right now with with Darren. We've got a a team. And and one of the things I've noticed about these nine-year-olds in our, in our basketball game is that they, they really long for us to look at them and say, hey, good job. That's something that they long for. One of them will make a basket and their head will turn over to the bench and run down the court as they go back, right? There's this longing for us to go, hey, well done, good job. They want to be rewarded for their behavior. You know what? The same thing exists between you and, you and me and God. There's a part of us that, that wants us that wants God to to reward us with salvation on the basis of our good works. But here's the problem. How good are we? 
See, if salvation is on the basis of works, we're in trouble because the wrath of God is demonstrated against all. It is revealed against all unrighteousness. And the problem is that all of us in this room are not good enough. We're unrighteous. We've fallen short of God's glory. If salvation is on the basis of works, then the key will never turn. The key will never start because our righteousness simply does not fit. So because of that, Paul writes and he wants them to know that the key to turning on their salvation is, is what Christ has done and faith in that, not in our works. Now, he's going to make that argument by looking at this historical figure of Abraham. Now, Paul picks Abraham to, to make this argument through because Abraham was the father of the Jewish people. He was the patriarch. He was the first one. Now, y'all know about Abraham. Abraham's story is told for us in the book of Genesis. God comes to Abram at the time was his name. Um, He's living in a faraway land, and God says, go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will give you many descendants, and I will bless all the world through you. God says that to Abram. And through his line comes the Jewish people, and through his line ultimately comes Christ. Now, in the first century, the Jewish people, many of whom would have read this letter initially, would have looked at Abram, would have looked at Abraham and would have said, you know what? Abraham was chosen by God because Abraham was a really righteous dude. They would have said, you know what? God picked Abraham because he was so righteous. There was a whole set of of thinking among rabbis in the first century that Abraham was chosen by God because he was righteous. Maybe they, they would say that because God chose him initially, or maybe they would say that because he would offer his son Isaac on, on a mountain as a sacrifice, or maybe they would say that because he took God seriously and he, he circumcised himself and his family. Um, he was the first one to do that. Uh, we, we don't know exactly all of the reasons, but there were a number of reasons why rabbis thought that Abraham was declared righteous before God because he was so righteous. His works led to his salvation. This is something that they thought. But Paul writes, and he wants to correct their thinking. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, Paul wants to let them know that even somebody that they would consider as righteous as Abraham was not saved on the basis of his works. Because though we know Abraham did some of these things, what else did Abraham do? Abraham was a sinful guy. Abraham offered his wife up to protect his own hide, and he lied. Abraham had his own issues. Abraham had his own problems. And and Paul says, hey, the key that turned Abraham's ignition of salvation was not his works. It was faith. He says in verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Now, that's a a little bit of a funny construction for us to see, but this is generally the idea. Hey, if you think Abraham was pretty righteous, sure, Abraham might have been able to impress some other people at the local tavern with his stories of righteousness. But you know what? Before God, Abraham had to keep his mouth shut. 
Before God, Abraham had nothing to boast about. Before God, Abraham was not righteous enough for his key to turn the ignition of his salvation. He says he could not boast before God. The same could be said of us. Abraham could not boast before God. Verse 3, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, here's what Paul does here. He's going to use the original words that described Abraham's life. He's going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. He's going to quote this verse as, as proof that from the very beginning, what God desired from us was faith and not our works. He says Abraham was justified. He was given salvation. He was declared righteous by God, not on the basis of his works, but on the basis of his faith, on the basis of his belief. It said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. We, we saw that in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham was saved not by works, but by faith. Verse 4 Paul continues, now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, uh, or not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now, in those verses, we see this word counted used a few times. And when I read Romans 4, 1 through 12 earlier, you probably, if you were awake and, and, and alert today, you would have heard a couple of words said several times. One of those words is circumcision. Try reading circumcision that many times in a short order. It was hard to do. But here's the thing. Uh, circumcision is one of those words. But what was the other word that was mentioned several times in these verses? Counted. Counted. Used seven times in these 12 verses. One of Paul's favorite words in this whole series. We'll see this over and over again this word counted. It's a word that has its roots in, in finance. It's the idea of something being deposited in someone's account, something being deposited into their account. And, and what Paul says here in these verses four and five is he says that things can be deposited in our accounts for a couple of different reasons. Perhaps something can be deposited into our account uh, based on a, a wage that, that is given. In other words, you do a job, you do a work, and then you receive a deposit related to that. I might think about my friend Adam, and, and I think, you know, Adam uh, is, is a wonderful musician, and Adam can actually make instruments. And I, and I might say, you know what, Adam, uh, I, I would love for you to build me a bass guitar, and I will give you $10,000 to build it. Now, Adam would probably say yes to that, but, but that would be a, a payment, uh, a wage for something that was done, a performance that was met with a payment. Now, let's just say that in, in a similar way, I was, I was looking at my friend Craig and I was to say, you know what, Craig, I, I want to give you something just because of our friendship, just because of our love. I just want to give you $10,000. Um, both of these situations, by the way, are hypothetical. Um, but I just want to give you $10,000. And, and I would deposit that $10,000 into your account. On one hand, it was a wage. It was given for a job performed, a service given. On the other side, it was given merely as a gift. Those are the two ways in which something can be counted, something can be deposited to us. What, what Paul says here is that our salvation 
is counted to us, not as a wage, not for services rendered, but it is given to us as a gift merely because God wants to give it to us. It is given to us as a gift that we receive by faith. That was true of Abraham, and it's true for us. What an amazing statement this is in verse 5. It says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Justifying the ungodly? That seems unthinkable. Yet that's what God has done for us in Christ. He takes us who are unrighteous, us who are sinners, and he counts the righteousness of God to us. He deposits it in our account. John Stott of these verses says this, Christ became sin with our sins in order that we might become righteous with God's righteousness. I love that phrasing. It echoes so many passages we see in the New Testament. It is faith and not works. It's a gift and not a wage. This is what our salvation is. Now, he makes that point first by looking at the person of Abraham. But then he's going to move, and from verses 6 to 8, he's going to make the same argument by talking about David. Now, do you notice what he's doing here? The prime objectors would have been Jewish people, so Paul picks two Jewish people who are on their Mount Rushmore to indicate that God has always justified by faith and not works. He did it with Abraham. He's going to make the same case with David. It would be like if you wanted to make an argument about how American something is, and you were to say, you know what, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln both said this. We'd be like, well, I guess it's apple pie then, because if they said it, it's American. We're in. He does a similar thing here. He says, Abraham, justified by faith, not works. David, justified by faith, not works. And he's going to use a quotation from a psalm that David wrote in Psalm 32, beginning in verse 6. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What did David do? First thing you might have thought of was David slayed Goliath. Think about that. David was the king. What else did David do? You probably know some things that David did. If your only knowledge of King David was a Leonard Cohen song, you would know that David slept with who? Bathsheba. And David arranged for Bathsheba's wife, Uriah, to be killed. So David was an adulterer and David was a murderer. David writes this psalm, a psalm of penitence after those acts. And he says, praise the Lord that God will not count my sins against me, but will instead cover them. What an amazing statement. David's talking here about the forgiveness that comes not by works, but by belief. Not by anything he's done, but by what Christ would do for him. Bill Newell says this in his commentary on Romans. He says, forgiveness is more than a remitting of a penalty. Even a hard-hearted judge might remit a man's fine if it were paid by someone else. 
But forgiveness involves the heart of the forgiver. God's forgiveness is the going forth of God's infinite tenderness toward the object of his mercy. It is God folding the sinner as the returning prodigal was folded to his bosom. Such a one is blessed indeed. David and Abraham knew that salvation came not on the basis of works, but on the basis of what Christ did and us embracing it by faith. It is faith and not works that turns the key in the engine. You know, as we think around this room and as you examine your own hearts and your own lives, there is no doubt um, that there are things in your past that you wish you could erase. You know, I bet if, if King David were here and we were going to have a conversation with him, he would love to take like this, this historical eraser out and just erase some of those events. It was embarrassing. It was painful. It caused temporal consequences in his life that continued throughout his life. But here's what David says in this psalm. He says, even though his mistakes, even though his sin led to consequences and problems in this life, he says, in eternity, God will cover those things. In eternity, God will will not count them against him. In eternity, God will give him righteousness instead of wrath. Not because David did so many good things, not because of his works, but because God just chose to extend it to him by his grace. And David received it with open arms in faith. And if, if you're here today and there is something in your past that you have tried through your good works to erase, you wish you could erase it, and you're trying, and you're working hard, and you hope nobody ever finds out about it, and you're erasing it, and you're erasing it, and you hope God forgets about it, um, and all these kinds of things, and you're, you're trying to, to, to earn God's thumbs up in your eternity because you want to earn that, you want to earn that erasing of that past act or those past acts. Know this. It's not our works that lead to the covering of our sin. It is Christ's work that we merely receive by faith. And for some of you here today, you need to be reminded of that and you need to rest in that. You need to be encouraged by that anew. Walk out of here with a weight off your shoulders knowing that God has forgiven you in Christ. But for others of you, you're you're still in that point of, of contemplation. You're still in that spot where you're trying to to, to grasp and to understand what what do I do now in light of this? My prayer for you is that today would be the day that you trust not in your own works, but you trust in Christ's work by faith. You don't take and ram the key of your works into the ignition, no matter how sincere your belief, thinking that you can turn it over, or ram the key of some other religion or some other practice in there, hoping that you can turn it over by your determination and your grit. The fact is that will jam in the ignition and it will prevent you from getting to the appointment of your eternity that you desire. Our hope for eternity is found in what Christ has done and us embracing that by faith and not work. Say that one more time. Faith, not work. Second thing we see here is faith and not ceremonies. Faith and not ceremonies. Again, Ford, not Saturn, faith and not ceremonies. There's a part of us that longs for religious ceremonies to somehow confer salvation to us because we can see them, we can feel them, we can experience them. Uh, We have a desire for that. It's the, the desire to make 
the thing that brings salvation to us, water baptism. That somehow the, the water, the ceremony is what saves us. There's, there's a part of us that, that wants the, the elements of communion to be the next installment in our salvation because we can touch it, we can feel it, the ceremony of that. Maybe even the ceremony of, of, of some experience of, of walking an aisle or, or whatever. That we, we think many times it's the ceremony of what we do that somehow gets God's attention to give salvation to us. But what we see in, in, in Romans 4 is a reminder that it is faith and not ceremonies that bring salvation our way. Is what Christ did and us embracing that in faith, that is, that is what brings salvation to us. That's what turns the engine of our salvation. And he's going to do this by talking about Abraham and circumcision. Now, circumcision is probably not the religious ceremony that we're hung up on, but it certainly was in the first century. There was a lot of, of conversation among the early church about whether or not you had to be circumcised in order to be saved, whether or not you had to be circumcised and become a part of the Jewish nation in order to be saved. That was a real conversation that was going on. And what, what Paul points out in Romans chapter 4 is that it wasn't the participation in the ceremony, even for Abraham, even the first one who was circumcised, it wasn't the participation in the ceremony that led to salvation. It was, it was the faith that was exhibited in God that led to the salvation. Uh, We see this mentioned here beginning in verse 9. Paul writes and says, Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Is it only for the Jews or for the non-Jews? And he says, For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. Now, We see this play out in history. Paul didn't make this up. This is the way that it went down. It was in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6 that God said to Abraham, he counted him as righteous because of his belief. But Abraham was not circumcised until chapter 17. Now, for us, that's two chapters later, but most scholars would look at that and say that it was also a period of at least 14 years. Fourteen years later, two chapters later, the point is clear. Faith preceded the ceremony. Salvation came to Abraham. He was declared righteous, not on the basis of his participation in the ceremony, but on his profession of faith, on his belief. That's what led to that. And that historical argument is is displayed here to say that, that all of us, who have faith, are connecting to God the same way that Abraham did, on the basis of faith and not some religious ceremony. Now, that's important for us to consider with all of the ceremonies that we have. And and, and keep in mind, Paul wasn't bad-mouthing circumcision here. Paul actually was circumcised himself. He would circumcise others or have them circumcised as a part of of his public ministry. He's not going after circumcision per se. What he is going after is the idea that circumcision or a ceremony led to salvation. He says, no, 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 that was was faith, and it's been that way from the beginning. The application for us is clear. We should not look to baptism or communion as ceremonies that save us. What Jesus did in us embracing that by faith is what leads to our salvation. Those become merely symbols 
things for us to, to, to look at, ceremonies for us to look at and to participate in, to remember what God has done for us in Christ. But the participation in those ceremonies is not ultimately what saves us. Now, we believe in both of those things, and we practice them here at Wildwood. Um, we're going to have a, a baptism service coming up later this spring. We're going to have a baptism class in, in a couple of weeks on February the 21st at 9.30. And if you have trusted in Christ and never uh, professed that, that faith publicly through water baptism, come to that class and be a part of baptism with us this spring. Um, but, but know this, it is, it is not the baptism that saves you. That ceremony follows faith. Faith and not ceremony. We believe in, in communion. You know, a little later on uh, this month, on the 28th, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We're going to pass bread and juice and partake of those elements as reminders of what God has done for us in Christ. But again, know this. We do not believe that partaking those elements brings any measure of salvation to us. We believe that they are symbols and reminders of what God has done for us in Christ. And by faith, we are connected to him not by ceremony. Helpful things, important things, things that God wants us to do as we gather as a church, yes, but nothing upon which our salvation hangs. Salvation is found through Christ alone and receive it by faith, not works. By faith, not ceremony. Now, we're going to conclude here in, in just a moment. We're going to sing a song together. Um, but before, before we do that, um, I want to just point out one thing in this verse. And this is an important thing for all of us to see. See, Jewish people in the first century, um, they would have seen Abraham as the great divider. Jewish people would have seen there are two kinds of people in the world. There are Jews and there are non-Jews or Gentiles. And the dividing line was Abraham. But what Paul says is that Abraham is not the great divider. Abraham is the great uniter. He's the great uniter. He's the one that brings all together and any who place their faith in God, that they are a child of Abraham. So here's the important thing for you to remember today. Father Abraham had many sons and daughters. Had many sons and daughters had Father Abraham. Because of faith in Christ, I am one of them. And if you're trusting in Christ, so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Y'all stand up. Uh, we're going to praise the Lord together. And um, I, I, before we, we sing together, I want to just pray for us. And, and if God is working in your heart today to trust in Christ, that today might be a day you do that by faith. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Thank you for the grace that you have given us, an amazing grace that brings to us salvation, not on the basis of our works, not on the basis of our ceremonies, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. And you, Father, have given to us faith that we might embrace and open and receive the gift that you offer us in Christ. And Father, I pray today for all of us here that you would give us faith in our hearts, that we would be trusting in Jesus and his goodness and his righteousness for our eternity today. Father, if, if there are, are, are any here who are beating themselves up over past sins that want to go back in, in history and erase it, I pray that they would be encouraged to see that you are the God who does not count our sins against us, 
by faith as we trust in Christ. And Father, for those who are discouraged today or for those who are far from you that have have never placed their faith and their trust in you, I pray for each and every heart and soul in this room that you would give us faith right now, right in this place, that we would trust in you and in your amazing grace that gives us as a gift and not a wage the opportunity to turn the engine of our salvation that we might be with you forever. We sing now, Father.